Hey, I got a joke for your little podcast there. Oh, okay. Um, what kind of joke? It's a funny joke. Here goes. Uh, all right. So there was this bus full of ugly people and it had a head-on collision with the truck. I don't know if I like where this is going. Listen. Uh, all right, all right. When they died, God granted all of them one wish. The first person said, I want to be gorgeous. God snapped his fingers and it happened. He was gorgeous. The second person said the same thing. Yeah. And God did the same thing. He was gorgeous too. That went on and on throughout the group. God noticed that the last man in line was laughing hysterically. Hysterically. Yeah. By the time God got to the last ten people, the last man was laughing and rolling on the ground. When the man's turn came, he laughed and said, I wish they were all ugly again. <laughs> I wish they were That's all ugly. Absolutely the worst joke I've ever heard. You ain't got no sense of humor, boy. Hi, I'm Randall Sims, and this is my podcast. Jesus, the Christ, at the cross of Calvary, purchased eternal life for you and for me. Life more abundant. That life has already begun, so why wait until the afterlife to live that life to the fullest? Welcome to the most impatient Christian podcast in the entire world. This is Christ Life Now. going to start with a modern parable. After the dedication of his baby brother, little Johnny sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, the preacher said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home and I want to stay with you guys. Well, out of the mouths of babes, right? Think about it. As often as the word Christian is used, if you don't truly know the meaning of it, it might as well mean anything. The same is true with many things that we use in our current language, and I would say this especially applies to words that are used in the kingdom or in the church. Sometimes we call it Christianese. On today's podcast, I want to elaborate about a very special and meaningful word that we hear all the time, but just perhaps you've never stopped to really think about what it means. That word is worship. Now, in the modern church, two words that we hear grouped together time and time again, or at least over the last two or three decades, are praise and worship. Praise and worship certainly do go well together, so well, in fact, that they sometimes get used as if they are interchangeable. However, treating praise and worship as if they are the same is an error, and it can cause us to miss out on experiencing all that God has to offer us, or since we're talking about worship, I should say it can cause us to miss out on experiencing all that we have to offer God. Understanding the difference between praise and worship can bring a new depth to the way that we honor the Lord. Throughout the Bible, the commands to praise the Lord are really too numerous to mention. Angels and the heavenly hosts are commanded to praise the Lord even. Psalm 103 and 20 says, Praise the Lord, all his angels of great strength, who do his word, obedient to his command. Then Psalm 148 too says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. All inhabitants of the earth are instructed to praise the Lord. Romans 15, 11, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, all the peoples should praise him. We can praise him with singing, as in Isaiah 12 and 5. It says, Sing to Yahweh, or God, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. 
Psalm 98 and 4 says that we can praise him with shouting. It says, Shout to the Lord all the earth, be jubilant. Shout for joy and singing. We can praise the Lord with the dance, like in Psalm 150 and 4. Praise him with the tambourine, praise him with the dance. Praise him with flute and with strings. First Chronicles 13.8 says that David and all of Israel were celebrating and praising God with musical instruments. Well, we can't cover them all in one podcast, but as you may already know, there are at least seven distinct Hebrew language words that translate into the word praise in our English Bible. Praise is closely intertwined with thanksgiving as we offer back to God appreciation for his mighty works on our behalf. Praise is universal and can be applied to other relationships as well. We can praise our family, our friends, our boss, our paper boy. Praise does not require anything in particular of us. It is merely the truthful acknowledgement of the righteous acts of another. I suppose an untruthful acknowledgement would just be idle flattery. But when it's a truthful acknowledgement of the righteous acts of another, it's considered praise. Psalm 18 and 3 says, Since God has done many wonderful deeds, he is worthy of praise. And truly, he is. Think about all the wonderful things that God has done. Forget the fact that he created all of us and created the entire universe, but think of all the blessings that he has created for us to enjoy on this earth. Now, I praise people quite often. I praise my children. I praise my employees. I praise my wife, probably not as much as I should. But I do, and I might even praise a waitress at Olive Garden if she does a good job. There's nothing wrong with the truthful acknowledgement of something good or righteous that another person has done. We even praise our pets, although some of the things that our pets receive praise for do bring into question whether it's really worthy of acknowledgement or not. Here, Spot. Here, boy. Who knows his name? That's a good boy. You're so smart. Praise is good. Worship, on the other hand comes from a different place within our spirits. Worship should be reserved for God alone. Luke 4 and 8 says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So it's okay to praise somebody who's worthy of praise, but we should not worship anyone other than the one true God. Serve only him. Worship True worship is the art of losing yourself in the adoration of another. Praise can certainly be a part of worship, but worship goes beyond praise. Praise is relatively easy. Worship, not so much. Worship gets to the heart of who we are. To truly worship God, we must let go of our self-worship. We must be willing to humble ourselves before God, surrender every part of our lives to his control, and adore him for who he is, not just for what he has done for us. Worship is a lifestyle, not just something that's done while the music is playing at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. Alrighty, folks, that's enough fellowship for today. It's time for worship. Mildred, get yourself to the piano now. In John 4.24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In scripture, praise is usually presented as boisterous, joyful, and uninhibited. God invites praise of all kinds from his creation. Jesus said that if people don't praise God, even the stones will cry out. Ain't gonna let no rock out praise me. When the Bible mentions worship, however, the tone changes. We read verses like, 
Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, Psalm 96 and 9, and come let us worship and bow down, Psalm 95 and 6. Often, worship is coupled with the act of bowing or kneeling, which shows humility and contrition. It is through true worship that we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, convict us, and comfort us. Through worship, we realign our priorities with God's priorities and acknowledge Him once more as the rightful Lord of our lives. Just as praise is intertwined with thanksgiving, worship is intertwined with surrender. It is impossible to worship God and anything else at the same time. The physical acts often associated with worship, bowing, kneeling, lifting hands, help to create the necessary attitude of humility required for real worship. Wise worship leaders even know how to structure a worship service to allow participants to both praise and worship the Lord. Often, services begin with joyous praise songs and transition to a quieter, more introspective opportunity for worship. All right, team, today we're going to get them up on the feet with Sea of Victory, and then we're going to end with a smooth, smooth, good, good father. Worship is an attitude of the heart. A person can go through the outward motions and not truly be worshiping, but God sees the heart, and he desires and deserves sincere, heartfelt praise and worship. Psalm 51, 16 through 17, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they already have their reward, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This, of course, is talking about prayer, but the principle applies to not only prayer, but also to giving, to worship, to acts of kindness, or even acts of service. True worship is not about outward appearance, but about the condition of the heart presenting it. Let me give you an easy way to remember what worship should be about. It's called the four E's. Ooh. Number one is exalt his name. Number two, extend his kingdom. Number three, express his greatness. And number four, expect his coming. Worship is designed to radically impact every area of our lives. Many times we get confused and we think of what goes on in our churches at say 9 or 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And true enough, worship often occurs during that musical part of our church services. But the music, though excellent it may be, is not necessarily worship. Even the singing or the lifting of hands, though the lyrics and the actions are straight out of the Bible, it may or may not be worship. If it's not from the heart, it's not real worship. And we serve a God who is worthy of all the praise and all the worship that we could ever offer, plus way more. We could start now worshiping and worship throughout the end of eternity, and we will still have only just begun to express the true worthiness of our God. Speaking of a worship service, we often enter those services and we have a good time, we get excited, and many congregations you'll see people lifting their hands or or jumping up and down, or, or even more extreme sorts of things. And, and those can be very good. Those can be very enjoyable. However, we have to ask ourselves, 
what are we jumping about? Who are we lifting our hands to? If we're shouting or lifting our voices, do we know who or what we're lifting our voices about? What has us so excited? Is it the beat of the music? Is it the well-prepared lyrics? Or is it because we're acknowledging who our Savior is, who our God is? Is it because we're acknowledging that the creator of the universe who sent his only son so that we could have eternal life is worthy of all the appreciation that we could ever muster? Now, I myself, especially actually being a singer, a worship leader, and a musician, I'm very thankful for those times of worship. I'm very thankful that I get to use those God-given abilities to worship Him. But let's remember that the music and the lighting and the lyrics and the way that the flow of the service is put together, those are all atmospheric things. Those in and of themselves are not necessarily worship. Praise is always praise as long as it's truthful, whether it's from the heart or not. Worship, on the other hand, remember, it's only true worship if it's coming from our hearts. Many times when we go into those services, we may be physically tired. Maybe we came in with a lot of baggage. But that doesn't change the fact that our God is worthy of our worship. Other times we may come in and we feel absolutely like we don't want to do anything other than worship. So we really get into it. Time to get my worship on. Woo-hoo. But we need to remember that our God is worthy of our worship, whether we feel like it or not. Consider that Jesus, when he gave his life on the cross of Calvary for us, he didn't feel like it. He knew that it was the right thing to do. He knew that that was the reason for which he had been sent. He knew that if he was going to express the love that he had for all, and still has, for all mankind, that's what had to happen. He had to give his life as the Lamb of God. After all, the scripture says that he was slain before the very foundations of the earth. Yet he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. So we see that Jesus didn't feel like it. And even if he had been in the mood to give his life, the stripes on his back and that first nail that went into his hands, the crown of thorns being placed on his head, that would have quickly changed his outlook. So did he feel like giving his life for us? Was he in the mood to give his best? Well, not necessarily, yet he knew that it was necessary, and he did it anyway. I've said it many times before, and I'll say it again. Our God is a good God, and he's good because he wants to be. He's good because he chooses to be. He could have created us and just been an absolutely malevolent dictator who only created us to torture us and to make us miserable out of some sort of sadistic mindset. After all, he's God. He can do anything he wants to do. He's completely sovereign. He doesn't answer to anything or to anyone other than himself. So it's not only worth noting that he is good, but I think it's worth noting that he is good because he wants to be. He's good because he chooses goodness. I once heard worship defined as when all that we are touches all that is God. That is worship. That might not be a definition that's straight out of the Bible, but I know what the person who first coined that phrase was trying to say. His spirit and, and our spirit become entangled, and it's hard to distinguish between what we are and who he is. It feels like all that is us is touching all that is him. And here's the point. A relationship or an encounter like that doesn't just happen. 
it requires a conscious effort. There are times in biblical history when worship required a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. In the New Testament, in, in the current dispensation in which we live, of course, a blood or an animal sacrifice is no longer required thanks to what Jesus did. However, a sacrifice still attracts the presence of God. What kind of sacrifice? The sacrifice of ourselves, the sacrifice of our comfort, the sacrifice of our pride, the sacrifice of what is convenient to us. When we place all that is us and all that we have on the altar as a living sacrifice to God our Father, and we say, whether with our lips or with our hearts, Lord, send your fire and consume this living sacrifice. Even today, the presence of God will fall. Even today, when we place ourselves on the altar, the aroma from our sacrifice fills the nostrils of God and attracts his presence. Now, if there's one thing that I want more of and I need more of in my life, it's the manifested Shekinah presence of God. You see, it's when God's manifested presence arrives at where we are that we become changed. When we come into the presence of God and his spiritual fire falls on us, the fire of the Holy Spirit, we can't help but be changed. Have you ever seen anyone on fire? Well, hopefully you haven't. But if you have seen someone physically on fire or even in a movie, well, I don't watch those sort of movies. Nonetheless, you get the point. If you have as much as burned your finger taking a cake out of the oven, you can understand to some degree what it would feel like to be on fire. When you're on fire, you can't help but be changed. You can't help but move, and you can't help but get excited. You're not going to see someone on fire and have them refuse to acknowledge it. You're not likely to see anyone ever on fire and have them to just casually comment about it. Fire? Yes, I do believe you're correct. I, I do seem to be on fire. I wonder what caused that. And the same with the spiritual fire. How are you going to have the presence of God, the spiritual fire from on high, to fall on you? How are you going to have that to happen and not move? How are you going to have that happen and not be changed? Let me tell you, if you've had the presence of God to fall on you and you haven't been changed and you didn't move and you didn't come out of that experience different from how you were when you went in, I dare say that you didn't have the presence of God to fall on you. I don't know what that was. What was I? But it wasn't likely the presence of God. But how do we get to that point, you may wonder. Well, let's take our example from Acts chapter 2. When the believers, the church of that time, or what was soon to be the church of that time, you could say, were waiting. They had been in the upper room for days. They were in one mind and one accord. Now, they weren't just sitting around, socializing, having a good time, complimenting each other on who brought what to the potluck. No, they were anxiously waiting and praying. Again, it says they were in one mind, in one accord. Now, if you've ever been around a group of believers, you know that even though we all believe in the same God, getting ourselves into one mind and one accord isn't an easy thing. In fact, I dare you to find a single church anywhere in the world this day where all the members are truly in one mind and one accord. Some are closer than others, 
but we all have our pride. We all have our lack of submission that we struggle with, but it gives us something to work towards. And the closer we get to that goal or in the times when we occasionally do get to that goal and stay in that goal for a period of time, we can see and have seen miraculous things occur. The power and the presence of God to fall. God even says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their lands and forgive their sins. Now, in a New Testament mindset, who are his people? How about those who call themselves by his name? The Christians. Are you a Christian? Then you should be one of his people. So, the challenge is to you. The challenge isn't to our country. The challenge isn't to the world as a whole. The challenge is to his people. Come on, church. When? Then will he hear from heaven and heal our lands and forgive our sins. You see, for every promise, there is always a contingency. There is always an if. I will do these things, says the Lord, if you will do these things. It's a conscious effort. It doesn't just happen. Worship. It's not just a 30-minute period of singing on Sunday morning. Or maybe you go to a church where it's an hour and a half long or two hours long. Nonetheless, that's not necessarily worship. Worship is when we truly, from the heart, acknowledge how wonderful our God is and who he is by humbling ourselves before him, by sacrificing who and what we are on his altar. So, Praise is good. Singing is good. Setting the atmosphere is good. Reading God's word is good. But all that being said, we still must worship our God, not only in truth, but also in spirit. I dare say that there are many believers, many Christians all across our land that are in church, practically every service, who have never actually worshipped God in spirit and in truth. Now, that's not a criticism. Many people don't know any better. And someone will say, well, Brother Randall, people worship God in their own ways. I agree, there are many ways to worship God, but just because you can say people worship God in their own ways doesn't mean that you're actually worshiping in any one of those ways. But you need to be, and I need to be, and I don't know about you, but I want to be. When you think about it, worship is really about us. We truly must humble ourselves and, and put ourselves to the side and truly, from the heart, lift up God. But here's the side note. When we do that, God pours himself out on us in wonderful ways. And we can't help but be benefited by that. Now, I'm not saying that we should worship in order to be benefited. We should worship because we know that our God is worthy. But isn't it wonderful to know that when we acknowledge that, when we do actually worship him from the heart, when we worship him in spirit and in truth, we're the ones who are blessed? Isn't that amazing? What kind of God blesses his people just for acknowledging who he is? You know what kind of God does that? A God who's worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. Here's my challenge for you today. 
Take a note from King David in the Bible. Worship so extravagantly that you become undignified. Go ahead and start in your prayer closet, or in other words, start in private. But let that undignified worship, that humbling, heartful worship, become so extreme, so extravagant in your prayer closet that it cannot be contained in that space. Let it begin to occur more and more in public, keeping in mind that it's not for you, it's for God. It's not so that people can see what an extreme worshiper you are, but so that our God can see that you're not ashamed to acknowledge who he is. Amen. Do you receive it today? Let that worship overflow. I guarantee you it will change your life. And here's the kicker. It might even change the lives of those around you. Because when you set up an atmosphere, those who come into that atmosphere can't help but be affected. Thank you so much for listening to this message today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope that it's given you some motivation. Hey, go ahead and share it with a friend. For that matter, share it with an enemy. Just get the word out there. We want to reach as many people as possible. Also, thank you for your financial support. If you are not already a financial supporter, please prayerfully consider becoming one. Our Cash App, PayPal, and mailing address are located in the description below. Until next time, have an awesome day and live your Christ life now. Take advantage of Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.